0: Hello world singers, my name is Brooke and I'm Tyler and this is Cosmere Conversations. Conversations.
1: Welcome back for another episode. Thank y'all for downloading, and wanted to give a big shout out. Thank you so much for the ratings and reviews lately. On yeah, the thanks Twitters guys. And, uh, iTunes, all that stuff. We really love it.
0: Absolutely, and happy new year. Welcome to 2018.
1: We have made it. Long past when the Mayans said that we would. We That's are true. now here in 2018. Don't know if the Mayans were necessarily wrong, but. You know.
0: Yeah, the world could definitely be ending. Yeah, it's
1: weird, but 2018 can be better, and it can be better with Cosmere Conversations. Woohoo! We have a breakdown that is just ongoing of Oathbringer and all that it exposed, or all that we learned during Oathbringer. Last week, talked about Odium and the Pack. A lot of great theories floating around about what that means for the Cosmere, but this week we have probably one of the biggest mysteries that was kind of introduced
0: yeah. in Oathbringer. We and, got some very small hints before this, but Oathbringer really cracked open the egg of the unmade.
1: Exactly, and that's what we are breaking down is all of the unmade and the weird things that are going on
0: what are they? Yeah. Who are they? What do they do? What this are their
1: powers? Is one of the biggest mysteries on Rashar for me right now. Is like yeah. what exactly are the unmade? Yeah. And we're gonna kind of explore what we know about them. During Oathbringer, we had a an in-world book that was referenced and then eventually part of the epigraphs. Called the Mystica, right? Mythica, Mythica, so. yeah,
0: by Hesse.
1: Hesse's Mythica, yep, was a in-world book that was often uh, kind of dismissed by serious scholars.
0: Yeah, it said that Yasna disagrees with some of her points, but uh, it was the book that Shalon is reading. Throughout Oathbringer, to learn more about the Unmade after her in-person encounter
1: with one of them. Exactly, and so we have uh, this book that is, with any in-world document, we have to like kind of understand that the author is not a source of infinite knowledge. Yeah. We shouldn't treat it as like a a fact that is being read. Right. So it's different
0: confidence. than, yeah, something like the Ars Arcanum, where it's being written from sort of a third party who has a little bit more of an unpartial, uh, knowledgeable view on the events. Mythica is written by a Rosharan scholar. So we have to understand that she's going to have all the same sort of prejudices and limitations to her knowledge as all of the other people on Rashar. So while we do get some great information about the Unmade from that text, we have to kind of take everything with some skepticism and knowing that it may not be 100%
1: true. So I think what we should just kind of start with, Brooke, is what is a basic definition or a basic kind of understanding of the unmade? Good question.
0: I don't know if we know 100% for sure yet. They're often referenced as things that are uh, similar to Spren. Um, Like in the Mythica, she references them as both, quote, spirits of the void and also as, quote, nine shadows who moved in the night they were specific kind of spren endowed with vast
1: powers, end quote. So we have something kind of like a spren. And I think when they were first talked about, I had a flashback to the giant spren that was swimming in the bay uh, oh. in Way of Kings, I think it was.
0: Yeah, that actually is the collector goes to see.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think have- it's
0: cute. Cusick, catch? Cusick and, catch
1: yeah it kind of is like uh, going to appear like every morning and it's become mm-hmm. like a not a mascot it's like a ritual yeah it's like a ritual for like the town people to like oh and here's coming our giant spren um, mm-hmm. and so I kind of was like oh they're a big gigantic spren uh, but when the events of Oathbringer start to unfold you realize that like while there might be some connection between the two Uh, I think that the unmade have developed into more something that is not categorized in the same way as we would categorize a spren.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. They seem to be different from spren, but they do sort of act the same in the way that, and we'll talk about this more in a little bit, but in the way that they are able to be housed in gemstones similar Mm -hmm. to spren are, and yet there is something that is not quite the same in between the two groups.
1: So you just mentioned one of the key points about the unmade, as well as one of the key plot points of Oathbringer at the end of Oathbringer. We have the capture, uh, in a, it's like a pure gemstone, a special gemstone, uh, that is going to capture the unmade that was previously understood to be the force known as the Thrill, and that is the Unmade of Nergul? Yeah. Yeah, pronunciation is going to be tough for this uh, episode, but we will do our best. (laughs) So we know that the Unmade are kind of like Spren, but we previously saw them exposed more like forces on Rashar, the thrill being the most often referenced, but we also had the epigraphs from Way of Kings, maybe into Words of Radiance, uh, that were directly tied to Molak. Yeah. And that was Future Sight or uh, the Death Rattles. Mm -hmm. And so we saw those two type of forces play out in the earlier books, and then Oathbringer comes around and we realize... You know, those forces are control or are the The effect, the product of different types of unmade.
0: Yeah. So I want to go back to your point about the fact that they're able to be captured in some kind of perfect gemstone. And I think that is... um, has to do with like the way that they're cut, similar to the way that cut gemstones hold stormlight better than uncut gemstones do. If the stone is like a 100% perfect, it is, I don't know, powerful enough or it has the appropriate structure to be able to uh, house an unmade. And there is, uh, one of the epigraphs mentions that, um, so, we get, well, I guess we should talk about the epigraphs, huh? Um, the epigraphs that are recorded in gemstones in Urethiru by previous uh, Knights Radiant. Super interesting. This, like, ancient record of things previously unknown. Uh, and when one of them, one of these Knights Radiant mentions... Quote, the theory that the unmade can perhaps be captured like ordinary Spren. It would require a special prison. And Malishi, end quote.
1: And Malishi is the bondsmith of that era. So it's a reference to a character that we don't have any other knowledge about. Uh, but was serving in a role similar to Dalinar's in the, the present Risharian world.
0: Yeah, so I think that's super interesting, too, because it seems like maybe only Bondsmiths would be able to perform this action of trapping the unmade in a gemstone. I think... Dalinar does it at the end of Oathbringer, right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. He like conquers the thrill and brings that into the gemstone that had been brought, I believe, by Odium. I think Odium brought the gemstone, and then Lift and Nightblood need to go get right. it. Right? Yeah, yeah, me, yeah. Lift Zeth and Nightblood. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: so that puts him in an interesting position as you know the only one that has this specific power, uh, because we do see one of the epigraphs of Words of Radiance says of this particular skill, quote, it was related to the very nature of the heralds and their divine duties, an attribute the bondsmiths alone could address,
1: end quote. So we know that the climax or the near climax of Oathbringer involved Dalinar bringing together the three realms to either kind of make a permanent location of honor's perpendicularity that was always moving around or to kind of fix honor's perpendicularity that had been broken or damaged with his death. Still not a hundred percent certain about um, how honor's perpendicularity appears on Rashar. uh, But we know that he merged the three realms together and that seems to be probably what is being referenced here Uh, with the callback that only Bondsmiths, or that they will need a Bondsmiths, Maleshi, to help them capture the unmade, I think that it has to do something with the Bondsmith being able to move uh, either things, objects themselves, or, or kind of just bring the three realms together. So maybe the... Similarity between Spren and Unmade is that they are both home in the cognitive realm. They both live in the cognitive realm. And so, what, and spiritual realm, obviously, but they're less felt or less present right. in the physical realm. And so, that's kind of like they're cousins of Spren or they're somehow related to Spren. Mm-hmm. But then, the reason that Dalinar or any bondsmith would be necessary to capture is because you have to merge the Three realms together in order to uh, one have the physical realm entity which is the perfect gemstone and then two have the cognitive realm entity which is the unmade force and then three maybe the energy comes from mm. the investiture comes right. from the spiritual realm and none of the other orders or anyone else that we know of with the exception maybe of the heralds that you pulled from that quote right um, could do something similar
0: super interesting So another thing we know about The Unmade is it's referenced many, many times in Oathbringer that there are nine of them. I don't know about you, but that like immediately put up a red flag for me. Because as we know, everything on Rashar is 10.
1: Not 10. There's nine. And like, this was really... I kept thinking I'm missing something. I I am not understanding something because... Nine is a unholy number. Yeah, like number. there can't
0: be nine. <laughs> exactly.
1: Like, why would there be nine? There has to be ten. Like, Brand- So everybody's wrong. Why yeah. isn't there just ten? Uh, <laughs> because that's, I mean, the whole point is obviously that Brandon has set up this idea through multiple evicts that ten is important, ten is important, ten is important, ten is important, and then he's like, oh, there's nine unmade. We do have the names and suspected powers of many of those nine, but but we don't necessarily know why there are nine. Yeah, or
0: if that's even correct, right? Because everything that we know is coming from in-world, which has a lot of flaws. Like, as we discussed last time, the entire history of humanity is completely different than they thought.
1: And that I think that's always important to keep around, and it's something that... De- I'm calling Brandon Sanderson Dalinar. (laughs) Um, It's something that Brandon Sanderson has played with in other books as well as history not being accurate, uh, having a key mistake about like a core component of your understanding geography on... The uh, unreliable narrator is the entire world. Exactly. And we have such interesting kind of speculation about why there are nine unmade but we see i think for the first time really early in the book with dalinar his vision of odium's champion and then it's a i think it's described as a person in black shard plate uh with red glowing eyes and surrounding that person are nine shadows now, do we think those nine shadows in the first vision are meant to represent the unmade? So, like, Odium has on his team a champion and the nine unmade.
0: That's at least what they assume in the book, um, Dalinar and Shallan and uh, Novani, They all assume that that is what he's seen. So, altogether, like, if you factor in the champion, that does equal 10.
1: And I am somewhat of the opinion that the key quote explaining the backstory of The Unmade is said by one of them, who I'm not going to pretend that I can pronounce correctly. Uh, S-J-A is her first name. and I just want to try yeah, to help me I out here. I think I've Brooke.
0: been saying it like Ja'anat.
1: Ja'anat is what we're going to go with. Everyone else in the world, say it however you want to say it. <laughs> um, basically, she says, of the... Unmade, of the nine. We were made and then unmade. And so I definitely think that this is hinting at a corruption somehow of the unmade. And just because there's nine, I feel, and I could be off here, but I, I feel that it has has to be somehow connected to the nine, heralds that abandoned the oath pact and la- and left to Len-a-lot, uh to be tortured alone for the the last desolation so like maybe odium didn't have these forces on his side originally that could be wrong uh, but maybe he didn't have the forces on his side originally but then Part of the repercussions or the blowback from those nine heralds abandoning the Oath pact is that a corresponding force, not necessarily directly related, but you know, we could call them the maid. As the heralds abandon the Oath pact and become less connected to their purpose and more and more crazy and stuff, maybe the maid become the unmade, and that was Odium kind of corrupting them. Really don't know, but that's just my kind of speculation mm. and theory is that I do think it's somehow connected to the Heralds, but I could be wrong.
0: That's interesting. I don't necessarily think they're connected to the Heralds, but I did love that quote about the fact that they're called the Unmade indicates that at one point they were made. Um, and I I was thinking that exact thing before we got that quote, like directly from them. Um, as soon as Shalon meets the Midnight Mother and kind of has this experience of feeling something sort of relatable or human in The Midnight Mother that kind of already triggered that idea of, okay, wait, maybe this is not what we thought there were. In relation to there being nine of them, I mean, I think either one, like, that is just not true. And there are 10, however, you know, throughout the course of history or whatnot the 10th one sort of got lost and we don't have a record of it. Or two, there is nine and it's related to this quote from the Mythica saying that basically 10 is the holy number because it is, you know, a round perfect number in this society that is, uh, that regards symmetry with, uh, holiness. And therefore nine is, you know, the odd, awkward, uh, bad number. so then that sort of corresponds with why would odium you know have the same like perfect symmetry
1: my other kind of theory about the unmade and i think this has been at least mainly discredited or people on the internet have kind of shut it down as not likely uh but i just want to throw it out there as like another idea is that if honor has 10 champions the heralds bonded through the oath pact it is in my opinion likely that cultivation may have also had 10 champions
0: yeah i was thinking that too that possibly when the unmade were made they were made by cultivation and then odium corrupted them
1: It just seems to fit because we also know that there is still one Spren that is directly tied to Cultivation, and that is the Nightwatcher. The Nightwatcher, we know, is still in-world, totally chill with Cultivation, at least, you know, for Lift and Dalinar, we don't assume that she's broken or anything. Uh, But that would kind of at least make sense to me. All right, there's one maid from the original, that did not get corrupted, or that Cultivation was able to maintain control over, uh, but the nine other ones were corrupted. And again, that might also tie back to the Defeat of Honor and kind of Odium's effect and blowback. And so like we have kind of these two um, shards that put up their champions... Well, nine of honors violated their oath pact, and nine of cultivations turned from the made into the unmade. I could see that. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that uh, on the internets, it's not a super uh, popular theory, uh, but it's just another thing to think about.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's still so much we don't know. Um, Should we talk about the the unmade as individuals and kind of what we know about them?
1: Yes, let's talk about the things that we do know rather than just give all speculation. <laughs> all speculation, all hour. yeah. So, let's talk about the from the mythica and from the epigraphs in I think it's part 4 of Oathbringer. We have quotes from the mythica that really look at the knowledge, at least the in-world knowledge of each of the unmade. And you already Mention the first one and it's the one that Shalon has the encounter with very powerful and it's right before the story begins uh the girl who looked up and then that yeah reoccurring theme for Shalon throughout the book um it's a fantastic story i love that and then they go in and they face this first unmade mm-hmm. i'm gonna give you all pronunciation and i'll take the easy <laughs> uh, nicknames for them
0: sounds good so you already mentioned Midnight Mother. Uh, another name for this unmade is Re Shafir.
1: So we have Re Shafir, the Midnight Mother. We did see uh, a lot of the presence of the Midnight Mother uh, in part two, part one. Yeah, I think of it's part two.
0: Um, but yeah, she actually gets some screen time.
1: And we are first hinted to the presence because just like the thrill even though we at the time we didn't necessarily know the thrill wasn't unmade but just like the thrill uh the effect of the unmade is like geolocated around the unmade itself so it's it can be mobile but it's also not like universal across the planet it is maybe not Maybe it's minorly felt across the planet, but it's certainly Mm -hmm. not. The power of the unmade is most centered around a specific regional area. So we're kind of given a hint that something is wrong with the uh, words and feelings of both Shalon and Renarin, who, while in Urethiru, are continually referencing a feeling of kind of like foreboding or darkness yeah and i think that part of that is connected to the circumstances of what's going on uh you know sadius's death early in the book and and those types of things but we eventually realize that it's not just normal foreboding uh that it's connected deeply to the power or the force that is the Midnight Mother.
0: Yeah, and I think another indication of that is the fact that it affects Shalon's drawing um, and that also reinforces the idea that Shalon's artistry is part of her magic that she is somehow seeing beyond the physical realm when she does her art because all of a sudden everything she draws is weird and distorted and she like can't quite capture What things are like because the unmade is sort of getting in the way of this power that she draws on,
1: and I definitely think that the connection to her art is a significant point, especially because we know that the first time we're introduced to Shalon having problems with her art, it's because of the appearance or or kind of the the reemergence of bren specifically her spren uh and the cryptics that she's always drawing and she's seen but she doesn't recognize them right and so in, like a uh, way, of, way of, kings. of kings yeah and so we know that her artwork kind of has a connection into the cognitive realm and i think uh, to even a lesser extent into the spiritual realm as well i don't think she has foresight abilities but at least like true self abilities you know what I'm yeah, saying yeah absolutely the Midnight Mother is eventually going to be confronted by parts of the gang uh, we have Adolin down there uh, a bunch of bridgemen go down mm-hmm. and Shalon leading the way and the Midnight Mother is she's like surrounding a column uh, do you want to t- take yeah, that? Yeah,
0: she is like wrapped around so the Midnight Mother manifests in the physical realm as this giant sort of pool of like oily goo sort of um like gak. when you're a kid is how i imagine it but like black and it's like all stuck around this column in the middle of urethiru that is covered in gemstones
1: like every different size gemstones i mean they like mentioned that it was easily a fortune bigger than like any single kingdom possessed of just like covered a massive massive column Uh, and we have the Midnight Mother that's not necessarily guarding it, but certainly it is a significant part of the city of Urethiru as well.
0: Yeah, it seems like it's maybe the heart or some sort of integral part of the fabriol that is the city of Urethiru.
1: Yeah, and so I think there is definitely a reason that the Midnight Mother is around that thing, uh, but... We know that Shallan is able to, uh, I'm not going to say defeat it, uh, but definitely like force it away in their confrontation. and Yeah,
0: and she mentions, this is another point that sort of ties the Unmade to Spren. She mentions that the Unmade, the Midnight Mother, is trying to sort of get in the bond that Shallan has with Pattern. Um, when she is confronting the Midnight Mother, she like feels her sort of tapping at that place in the spirit web where she and Pattern are connected. I thought that was really interesting. I also thought it was interesting that the Midnight Mother reproduces images of things that she's seen. So she starts creating, you know, sort of shadow puppets of Adolin and all the Bridgman, but she doesn't create any of Shallan. And I think that's significant.
1: Yeah, I think that part of that is related to Shalon's story in the book of not really knowing who she is and having um, the multiple personality disorder. That's interesting. Like she
0: doesn't have an identity, so the Midnight Mother can't replicate it.
1: I think that's what is going on. But we also had the Midnight Mother um, replicating the deaths and the murders that were going on. So that was kind of the other key uh, signifier that something weird was happening and let's uh let's move on to the next one though i mean we could try to talk about all the know, theories there's around, just so much i know but let's uh <laughs> let's hit the next one because she also oh. gets some screen time
0: sorry just really quick i do want to say that in the mythica Hesse, the author says that she thinks the midnight mother has been destroyed so this is our first clue that this text is not necessarily completely correct
1: That's a good reminder as we go forward is that we're pulling a lot of this quotes from the mythica, but we also know for a fact that the mythica doesn't have the information that Shalon does and doesn't know that, uh, no, this thing is definitely around. So there, keep that in mind as we go forward. We'll try to make as clear as possible when we're pulling stuff from the mythica itself and then more just like uh, general knowledge that was pulled elsewhere.
0: Yeah. So the next one, we also mentioned briefly, Anat, who is also known as...
1: The Taker of Secrets. Thanks for letting me say the easy part.
0: Such a good name. The Taker of Secrets.
1: And Anat is going to have a uh, more humanoid appearance than just kind of a, a black goo uh, and have a body that is made of jet black shadow is how it's described with white holes for eyes
0: and she kind of moves in between this shadow form and sometimes she does look more human but that seems like it's sort of one of those masks like odium puts on to look more human for the humans and then sometimes she sort of fades into what i would consider more of her true uh Shape, which is that jet black shadow, but she always keeps those like shining white holes as her eyes. So creepy.
1: So from the mythica, Ja'anat was described as one of the most feared by the Radiance because of her ability or the the force behind Anat. It is to corrupt lesser Spren. And this is the hint that there is a nearby... Uh, unmade and once again figured out by Shalon. I think there's another callback to her connection uh, into the cognitive and spiritual realm is that she's often the first one to like call these things out. The thing that she noticed is th- that small spren are either uh, red in color, which is a signal of corruption, or they are not The normal type of spren but the normal behavior so you have like flame spren but instead of uh, being the normal spren that she is familiar with it's definitely a flame spren because it's like appearing next to a flame but it's different and twisted and uh, has a you know different pattern of moving and so the spren has become corrupted in some way and that's Ja'ana's real power and kind of signifier that she's around
0: yeah, and Ja'Anat has been, she says she's been forced to corrupt the spren that control the Oathgate. And that's the main uh, interaction she has with Shalon. is she She actually tries to help them, uh, which I think is super interesting. And again, speaks to that idea that the unmade aren't necessarily these sort of evil monsters that we may have imagined them as. Not only does she appear more human, um, she also speaks more human, uh, communicates with Shalon. She mentions that she has children uh, a couple times in that short conversation, which I thought was really interesting.
1: And it would also kind of support the idea that the the unmade are kind of similar to the heralds that then have lesser spren. For example, we know that the Windspren will are considered like children of honor and the honor spren.
0: Well I think Windspren are considered cousins of honor spren. They're very similar.
1: So we know that there's like a relationship between spren and And we know that Honor Spren have obviously bonded uh, to the the Knight's Radiant, the Windrunners. And we know that they're all tied back very closely to the Shard of Honor. But like, you have this kind of delineation of powerful creatures, beings, forces. And at the bottom are like the lesser Spren. So I kind of feel like we could see that same type of relationship Uh, And maybe the children that Ja'anad is referencing are a spren that we either are familiar with or maybe not familiar with.
0: Yeah, because she says, quote, you will not give my children a home, not yet, end quote. I don't know what that means.
1: Just as we're talking, I have developed a new crazy theory. What if the (laughs) unmade are... Some type of herald or champion or like gigantic spren from Ashen from the home planet of the humans, and then as the humans brought them over, I'm kind of thinking like a American Gods, which is a, a Neil Gaiman book, mm-hmm. where like the old gods uh, from Africa or the Middle East uh, or Europe, um, you know, the Greeks and the Romans or, or whatever, they're they're brought over to the new world by people and so what if the when they were the maid they were actually like the gods of ashen and then the humans brought them over again I'm That's just th- I'm just throwing out crazy shit at this point yeah for sure what I thought was most significant about uh, the experience with Jana is that she was not the only one. In Colinar, is that we had a multitude, I think three known uh, Spren or is it... Two? In Kolinar? Yeah, in Kolinar. In
0: Kolinar we only had two.
1: Okay, so two Spren in Colinar, Um and they were kind of operating... Actually... I think there's three.
0: I think there is three. One of them uh, is bonded to Azadin, the king's wife, Elokar's wife.
1: Yes, and then we have the one who creates the revel, and then we have Ja'ana who was blocking the oath gate, right? Yep. Okay, so uh, we have all these sp- these unmade that are kind of working together, influencing together. Uh, but then Ja'ana comes out and says, "Like I to Shalon, I am not your enemy, and not to be afraid of me." Uh, and I just I think that. We need to always keep that in mind is that the appearance of darkness, corruption, may not be as simple to explain as, oh, that's the bad thing. That's uh, the Darth Vader. That's the evil side of the force.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that it's significant too that both the Midnight Mother and Ja'anat seem trapped and afraid, you know, like they're not—they're not this aggressive, evil thing that we might expect. They—they they ask for help.
1: But then, if we're ready to go on to the next unmade, I think this is the one that we have the most connection to, uh, in terms of the most uh, history with, and we've been exposed to the most throughout the books. This is Ner'gul, and Ner'gul is better known as...
0: The Thrill.
1: That's right. I gave you the easy one this time. (laughs) So the Thrill was introduced early on, back in uh, The Way of Kings. It's a key part. Yeah, like chapter one. Exactly. It's a key part of every battle, and it's talked about by numerous characters, uh, and it builds into something that is so much more significant as this unmade this force uh and and having a key aspect of importance in dalinar's own life because one of the reasons in his backstory we find out that he goes to put down this rebellion uh in the city that eventually becomes the site of his horrors uh is that Ner'gul is around that city. The thrill is beating uh, like the drums of war around that city, and so people are gearing up to fight, and that's kind of what uh, the thrill is described as often, is kind of a uh, a force that can be tapped into by people who are uh, fighting or or getting ready to fight. So either in the fight or as they prepare to fight, it's kind of a uh, force that just dis- has many practical benefits, uh, but I would maybe compare it to things like, uh, battle rage or, uh, the, from the Germanic tribes, uh, the, the berserkers who would says to get themselves in a crazed fit, uh, and then, like, charge into battle and scare everyone, uh, because they were just insane or, uh, if we want to go uh, further south, we have like the the Hashashin of the Middle East who eventually become known as assassins. But the name Hashashin is hinting at what they would first do, which is uh, get super high by uh, smoking or ingesting hash and hash oils uh, and then committing their assassinations in kind of a religious way. So it's like you're looking for some force that's tied to the aggression and the war and the battle.
0: Yeah, I mean I think there's sort of a spectrum of its effect where it sort of, you know, tangentially it has just sort of a a cloud effect around the area that it is where it is Always going to inspire people to be maybe a little bit more short-tempered, more quick to violence than they might be otherwise, but not necessarily noticeable, uh, you know, to the naked eye, so to speak. Um, definitely influences them in battle, gives them more ruthlessness, more stamina to continue fighting. Uh, helps them, you know, stave off any feelings of guilt or mercy. Um, And then if you go even deeper, I think Dalinar is specifically targeted by Odium for like the most intense uh, version of the power, sort of undiluted thrill.
1: And I think that that's significant to the reason that Dalinar becomes known as the Blackthorn uh, is because of Odium's targeting, like Odium is trying to build up his eventual champion Uh, In a similar way that Ruin tried to build up Vin as the person that would eventually unlock him. Uh, I think that it is most likely that parts of Dalinar's brilliance on the battlefield uh, and then his kind of feared nature and the the horrific or or very brutal tactics that he would use uh, were directly because of this kind of focused thrill that he was exposed to I don't want to like use that as an excuse for his uh past character behavior uh but i I do think it's an aspect of his backstory is that maybe even more than other characters that know about the thrill and talk about the thrill like where, Brooke said there's kind of a, a spectrum and dalinar it might be at one end of the spectrum so he's just like dealing with the focus where you know for you or i we may hear the drum beats of war but to dalinar it's like his own beating heart is linked up with the the drum beat itself of war
0: yeah it becomes very much a part of him Um, but something else that I think is interesting about the thrill is that it is unbiased. Um, it affects both sides of a conflict. So it doesn't, it doesn't take sides. It just makes everyone want to fight everyone. And I think that that is a very powerful, uh, weapon in the hands of Odium. And it makes me wonder if Odium's goal is not just like to make everyone fight each other and then, you know, he can sweep in and pick up the pieces and not have to fight anyone and take the world.
1: And that's definitely kind of what he tries to do in the Battle of Thalen City. We know that it is unlikely that soldiers from Sadius's army even though they hated Dalinar, even though they had built up this kind of antagonism between the two armies, without, I think, Odium acting as maybe like a, a booster, a satellite of some type, of, who like boosts the signal of the thrill at that battle because it, they talk about it kind of turning in a moment where the thrill is kind of like focused all at once. And so before where we said... Odium focused that on Dalinar Specifically then he kind of In his final move or you know One of the final moves he focuses The thrill on Sadius' army They turn against uh, The city itself and begin Attacking because of this thrill
0: and then the other thing we see in that battle is the more physical manifestation of the thrill. Most of the time we see it just as a feeling that people feel inside. Um, but we see in that final battle that it is also accompanied by, like, this red mist or red cloud and visions of, like, shadowy, shrieking, dying creatures. It's pretty horrifying.
1: Let's go on to the other one that had a lot of exposure in both Way of... Or at least it was hinted at a lot more in Way of Kings and Words of Radiance. That's Molak or Molak.
0: Yeah, Molak. Molak. I don't know.
1: I don't know. We're just making all (laughs) these things up here. Uh, But we have Molak who's responsible for the Death Rattles. And just like we explained with the Thrill, Molak, mobile and regional and the... First time that we see and are exposed to Moalak, it is through the investigations of Teravangian to record the death rattles that are uh, currently seen in his country, uh, and so he is trying to. Eventually, we find out he's trying to use the death rattles to supplement his knowledge of the diagram, and we'll definitely talk more about Teravangian and the diagram. Uh, because that is significant. I mean, hugely so, all the way up to the last pages of Earthbringer.
0: Yeah. And we get a quote from the Mythica about Moloch and its powers, which goes, quote, seeing the future originates with the unmade and is from the enemy, end quote. So this supplements some uh, you know, some things that we have suspected all along about the nature of future sight and prophecy in this world. Uh, their lore does support that, that uh, trying to predict the future or seeing the future is evil. Uh, this supports that. It does make me wonder, though, about, like, Renarin and I feel like we have other instances where people kind of see the future and it seems like it's not evil.
1: Here's what I'm thinking. I think that What we have with Mo'alok might be a cognitive realm force. We could call it a spren, but we don't think it's quite a spren. So it's it's a force. And for Mo'alok, it has more access to the spiritual realm. Because we know that seeing the future, which is something that shards can do to one extent or another, that is directly in the spiritual realm. We know that from Mistborn's Secret History because Kelsier briefly experiences that ability to see the future by holding uh, the power of preservation and connecting himself directly to the spiritual realm. So spiritual realm equals ability to see the future. Mo'alak grants the ability to see the future in a small dose. So my idea is that Mo'alak is... Connected to the spiritual realm, but then any time anyone on Rashar is claiming to see the future or um, attempting to see the future, they basically have to go through Moalok. Like he's almost like a gatekeeper—not necessarily on purpose—but mm-hmm. he's like in the way of any transition between people in the physical realm trying to see into the spiritual realm you have to go through Moloch and the reason why everybody's like don't trust anybody who can see the future Hoid says it I mean everybody says
0: says it it twice in like a very intense way which is like what mostly makes me be like okay yes I believe you
1: yeah exactly so he's saying very clearly don't trust anyone who sees the future and Renarin can see the future and he's like kill me Uh, to yasna at the end of the book and so like why is everyone so anti seeing the future
0: you know what i'm thinking i wonder if for some reason whatever power allows you to see the future is like easily manipulated and so that sort of lore just comes from like don't bank on the visions of the future that you see because they may not be true because it's very easy for something to distort that vision and then you know you go through your life oh no i need to do something because i saw this vision and like f up your life because you thought something was true that wasn't
1: that's a hundred percent what i think is going on i just think i think moa is the corrupting thing is that Okay, everything that about seeing the future is corrupted because it goes through Moloch and he is corrupted.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, what if at one point Moloch like, granted correct future sight? And then in this process that made him from made to unmade, now his power has become unreliable.
1: And that would explain uh, why like, the religions are, have that as, like, a tenant mm. of nobody can try to predict the future. because, like, they know something happened to the ability to predict the future. Yeah. Uh, and the something that we can speculate happened is that something corrupted Moalak.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Do we want to go on to the next one?
0: Yeah, this next one completes what Hesse calls in the Mythica sort of a triad of great mindless spren uh, in the Unmade. So we have Nergal, Moloch, and then the third one is Ashertmarn? Ashertmarn?
1: The Heart of Revel is the easy to say nickname and also gives you a hint at when you saw this in the book, this was also around Kolinar and uh, the Heart of Revel was seen in full swing with the citizens starting first with the queen, uh, but then all the citizens uh, of the higher court and everyone who eventually becomes corrupted by the time our gang, uh, led by Elokar, Kaladin, and Shallan, and Adolin, are going to arrive in Kolinar, there is a cult, I don't, we can call it whatever we want, but basically like...
0: Don't they call themselves the Cult of the Revel? Cult of Revels?
1: Yeah. Uh, and they are stealing and collecting all of the food in the city, uh, and then every night having an orgy of uh, food and yeah. sex and wine. And- so,
0: it, I mean, it's it's Bacchus from yeah. Greek mythology. That was like the first thing I thought was just, oh, Bacchus. <laughs> um, so just excess indulgence in every way, food, sex, all the things. Um, they just like dance and party and are basically animals.
1: And th- keep in mind This musical connection to, like, previously we talked about the drumbeats of war, okay, that's a very clear thing that exists in our own uh, world and is obviously interpreted...
0: The beat of a dance club that you hear from, like, down the street. That's what I was
1: thinking, all right. So going back for a deep reference here, but there is, like, the cave orgy in the second matrix, and half the world is, like, we have no idea what you're talking about. But it's totally fine. It's just, like, whatever. You're just dancing and feeling it and just, like, lust and, and love and excitement and sweat and sex, and it's just all going on. Now, the key aspect, of course, is that... This can go on in a, uh, I would say, relatively mild way and a maybe even healthy way for some people. Sure. Yeah. Uh, like, but let
0: loose a little bit. Have fun sometimes.
1: Exactly. Go to the dance club. Like, have good times. Yeah, for
0: sure. But when How, you spend like every night- 72 hours at the dance club, you might have a problem.
1: <laughs> If you're stealing from like poor, starving children to fund the dance club where they like are purposefully wasting like the food and everything.
0: Yeah, Shalon gets there and all of the food is just like rotting on the tables.
1: It's not even about indulging themselves. It's like having so much indulgence that you can create the waste.
0: Yeah, crazy. And this heart of the revel, it actually physically manifests as a giant heart. Like like a physical heart.
1: Ugh. And not the uh, stereotypical yeah, not a, not a Valentine's Day, Day heart, heart. <laughs> but the human heart of the inside with all its tubes and weird shit going on.
0: Gross.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's looking like a, a muscle and a, a beating heart of revel and lust and all these things.
0: Yeah, and it's black.
1: Do we want to go on to the next one?
0: Yes. Next one is Yelignar.
1: The Blight Wind.
0: Yeah. And we see this one also on screen in Oathbringer. He, or it rather, bonds with Amaram in that final battle, which,
1: because it's part of like the Sanderson Avalanche when you're just at the end of the book and you can't stop reading, I had so much difficulty with interpreting all the different aspects of the final Yes,
0: I agree. I agree. It's it's sort of all jumbled in my brain because I was just like reading as fast
1: as possible and there was so much to like take in. Exactly. And with a book... I think you can do that more than with something like a movie where it's like, like this is what's happening. You're going to watch it and you can experience it. Um, with a book, everything kind of becomes jumbled uh, and your brain grasp on one thing and then it jumps over to another thing. And then you're crying because of theft, and then you're backing it because of Cal- <laughs> like, you're having all of these different emotions and, and reading and stuff. So like, I didn't know what was going on with Amaram.
0: Yeah, it was an interesting effect that I don't really understand. He swallows the gemstone and bonds with Yelignar. And then throughout the course of the battle, he starts like growing gemstone carapace. It's this like amethyst colored carapace. And he gets what seems like. All of the surges he's able to use, um, which is something that we hear in the mythica that is possibly one of the powers of Yelignar. She says that he might have all of the surges combined into one. Um, and then something from the mythica as well that she says is, quote, he could transform any void bringer into an extremely dangerous enemy, possibly involving swallowing
1: a gemstone, end quote. So we see that swallowing of the gemstone. Do we know if this was ever done on screen? Or, like, what did Odium or Amaram capture this unmade in the same way that Dalinar captured the thrill?
0: I don't think we do see it on screen, but it seemed like Odium, it seemed like Yelignar was going to play a. Key role in Dalinar potentially becoming Odium's champion. Like, that's what it seemed like to me was that Odium was going to have Dalinar bond to Yelignar, and then Dalinar refuses, and Odium says something like, find me a gemstone that is a suitable house for Yelignar. And one of the fused gets a gemstone. I think the next thing we see is just Amaram swallowing it and then becoming all crazy demon, man.
1: So it's possible that Odium either had complete control or complete cooperation with Yelignar where maybe he did not with unmade like Anat, who's more resistant to his influence.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I would guess either either Yelignar was already imprisoned in the gemstone Mm -hmm. or yeah, Odium had some kind of ultimate control over him or cooperation.
1: What I think can definitely be said is that there is going to be, I think, significant benefit on the reread or the the thrice read yes. of uh, Oathbringer because of this uh, problem. Obviously, it's a problem of readership. There's some people out there who are like, I don't have any problem with it. Yeah, but, but it's definitely, I think, <laughs> props something...
0: to you if you can like read it the first time and totally get everything clear. <laughs>
1: But for the rest of us, I think it will take a a couple of rereads. Let's get through the next uh, two. We have two more.
0: Yes. So the two other um, unmade that are mentioned in the Mythica. First, we have Ba o mishram who we don't have too much information about. Even Hesse in the Mythica says they don't have very much information. Um, It's thought to have either returned to Bray's damnation or or have been destroyed during a hareatum. However, we know that previously her claims to this were not correct, so that's probably not true. Um, Described as, quote, keen of mind, a high princess among the enemy forces, their commander during some of the desolations,
1: end quote. And I find that super interesting because previously we had assumed that the fused were the leaders of the military leaders of uh the the listeners and kind of the ones in charge obviously odium above that but here we have an idea of like one of the unmade being seen as a commander which to me hints to something like a more humanoid creature
0: yeah definitely almost like the right hand of Odium or like daughter of Odium definitely some sort of elevated uh, more intelligent uh, entity than you know something like Nergoel
1: so let's be honest I think she'll be appearing in the future books I hope so because it sounds too uh, powerful and too important to just be like oh yeah she totally died in my (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah yeah
0: And then the last one that we hear about in the Mythica is Chamorish, the Dust Mother.
1: Now, because of the Dust Mother nickname and because of some of the uh, theories or the stories about this unmade, there was some speculation that the Dust Mother is actually uh, the Night Watcher, and that's in-world, not what Hesia thinks.
0: Yeah, Hesia says, no, she is not the Night Watcher. Again, who knows if is right, but at least someone thinks that that is not true. Then we also have a few sort of names that are thrown out throughout the course of the three books who may possibly be the remaining unmade, but we don't have confirmation. Um The first is Diagonarthus, who Hesse thinks is the final unmade and speculates that that is the cause of the destruction of Amia, which I thought was interesting.
1: We also have a name thrown out of the Black Fisher. Now, there's some speculation that the Black Fisher is just another name uh, for Daigonarthius. They're
0: mentioned. They're mentioned like in the same sentence a couple of times. I think Yesrian mentions it as well as possibly Hesse. but there's not actually confirmation that they are
1: the same thing. And further speculation is that the Unmade might be the faceless.
0: Yeah, Yezrian also mentions literally just the phrase the faceless. Um, it has been speculated online that that might refer to that large spren in Erie, Kwisakesh, um, because it forms a face that sort of cycles through many different faces over a few minutes. Um, so that seems to fit. But again, no confirmation there. Another one mentioned by Yesrian is the Spawning Mother. Could be another name for the Midnight Mother. We're not
1: really sure. From our knowledge and research, that's what we have right now on the Unmade and the were introduced in Oathbringer in the most detail, and I think they are going to be a key part of the story going forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They're so powerful, they have to play a key role in that larger sort of cosmic fight. And then we have another sort of large power, large space Bren sort of thing that is introduced for the first time in Oathbringer, which I found very exciting and intriguing and interesting. And I'm like kind of obsessed with this question. Who or what is the sibling?
1: The sibling is referenced by the Stormfather. And this is also as we get kind of confirmation of a long running theory that the Stormfather is related to honor, like the Night Watcher is related to cultivation. That was mainly speculation before Oathbringer. Now it's been confirmed by the Stormfather himself. But then as he's confirming that, like this is so brain and think about what he did. He answers <laughs> one of the mysteries and kind of the the big speculation on the interwebs and then goes, The Stormfather says. Oh, and I also have another sibling. Like, wait, wait, no, what?
0: We didn't want to leave you with too many answers. We also had to give you some more questions.
1: So specifically, do you want to play Stormfather and Dalinar here in the back and forth? Let's do it. Do you want to be Stormfather or Dalinar?
0: I will be the Stormfather.
1: Okay, then here is, from Oathbringer, Brooke and Tyler playing Stormfather and Dalinar.
0: Enjoy. There is... a third sibling. They are not with us. In hiding? No. Slumbering. Tell me more. No. Leave them alone. You hurt them enough
1: end quote. That's all. We, I mean, we. it's not a long back and <laughs> forth, but it's, like, clear. And Dalinar uh, gets the, like, the next line is that Dalinar gets the impression that the Stormfather is not one to be, like, pushed or trifled with. Like, he's clearly said no. There's yeah. not going to be any more convincing to be done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there's another one. There is another of these uber-powerful spren that is related to the Stormfather and to Nightwatcher. Yeah,
0: so, like, what is that? Because if you think the Stormfather is sort of the, you know, a splinter or a shadow of honor, the Nightwatcher is sort of the spren or the splinter of cultivation, like, rationally, you would think the third one would be of Odium, but I don't think it's of Odium if it's a sibling to the Stormfather and the Nightwatcher. And then we also have a lot of... Uh, positive comments about the sibling that we get from that gem archive of the ancient knights radiant so i'm like very confused what could this thing possibly be
1: yeah and i have just so many questions about this sibling because it doesn't seem like things line up okay yeah we obviously have Stormfather connected to Honor, Nightwatcher connected to Cultivation, Odium, no. Like, Odium can't be in charge of the sibling. Right, not if
0: they're calling it a sibling and it's so, you know, favorably looked upon.
1: What I saw at the end of the Ars Arcanum, I think also kind of ties in uh, to this hint that something else is going on or, or something is trying to be unveiled that we currently know nothing about. It's when Chris writes, quote, my research suggests that indeed there should be another series of abilities that is even more esoteric than void binding. Perhaps the old magic fits into those, though I am beginning to suspect that it is something entirely different. End quote. So she's referencing... Surge binding, which is of honor, and void binding, which is of odium. And then she references the old magic, but doesn't connect that to cultivation and says that there could be. St- connected to something else entirely or it's just this other thing Right.
0: so like the other series of abilities that's more esoteric I would assume would be the set that's related to cultivation but then there's the old magic which doesn't really fit into anything so I feel like the only explanation is that possibly there is or was at one time another shard
1: Ooh, this is deep speculation.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just feel like there's too many things that don't quite fit into the paradigm that we have currently of honor, cultivation, odium. And I think that the idea
1: that there was another shard or is another shard might not be correct, but the idea that something happened on Rishar, something was happening on Rishar before the shattering or before uh, these shards showed up, we know that during the time pre-shattering with just adenalsium, that adenalsium could and did have splinters of adenalsium throughout the Cosmere.
0: Yeah, that's been confirmed by word of Brandon. So I think either there was... Another shard, other than the ones that we've already seen on Rashar, which could at have one led time
1: to the old magic and the sibling.
0: Yeah, like there's like remnants from it still there, um, or exactly as you said, Adenalsium at some point was there left splinters and there are things that are a remnant of that.
1: Yeah, so you would have basically the old magic and the sibling connected directly to Adenalsium, or connected directly to a previous shard from Rashar, or maybe breeze like i don't even i don't even know. yeah
0: maybe yeah i don't know this to me is one of the biggest like questions and mysteries that brandon opened up in oathbringer
1: yeah i think that the whole concepts of what we've been dealing with with the unmade and, and the sibling is the big mystery now because think about just what happened in the book like we got to see and talk to and have conversations with odium who was the big mystery the big bad hanging out (laughs) in the background of the first two books and then it's like oh man it's just like the way oathbringer played out with climaxes at the end of each part when you're like oh gosh that was a whole book i'm i'm physically emotionally exhausted and like i need to put it down for like that's what's happening in the series overall it feels like yeah like this book was massive and it also unveiled a massive amount yeah but as it's unveiling it's also introducing more and more mysteries it's like oh i've pulled back the curtain and now you get to see odium what's that in another curtain yeah (laughs) is that another curtain in the is that nine other curtains in the corner (laughs) And then another one for the sibling. Like, we just got curtains on curtains on curtains here. It's inception of (laughs) curtains. It's ridiculous, people.
0: There's always another mystery.
1: And we will keep reading and finding out to find out those mysteries.
0: Yeah, if you have any great sibling theories or thoughts, please let us know. Super interested in discussing this. So reach out to us on Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, and let us know what you think.
1: Also really appreciate if you take just a moment to rate us on iTunes or anywhere else that you get your podcast does help significantly with the ability for other people to find the podcast. And there's a lot out there. We know that every week more and more people find podcasts for the first time and are you know, there some people are Cosmere alone, guys. They're so sad. We were Cosmere alone, and we were Cosmere forced alone. Cosmere upon our friends and family, <laughs> and now all of you as well. But there's people out there in the world who are, you know, just sitting by a tree reading the Cosmere by themselves, and then they don't have anyone to talk to. Well, oh
0: man, and you have to have someone to talk to you about this.
1: It's too big to hold inside <laughs> your brain. I can't even read the book without yeah. understanding yeah. it at the time. I need multiple rereads, but conversations is the best way to learn and experience and just understand better
0: yep so share your nerdiness like we do and leave us a review tell people about it if you know people who might want to be here and until next time life before death
1: strength before weakness
0: journey before destination